Hey there, Habs fans. Habs maniacs. Habs lunatics out there in Habs land. Welcome to What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs, a podcast series that will hopefully try to examine and come to some sort of logical, rational conclusion as to what has plagued this organization for 26 years. We'll dig deep. We'll, um, we'll go beyond the game-to-game microanalysis of uh, statistical uh, you know, zone coverage. That's fine. I have no issue with people who get into that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can follow the sport any way you want to follow it. You could be immersed with as much information as possible. Or you could just use it as a, as a pleasant distraction after work just to calm down. You know, maybe uh, a get-together with your family. However you approach the game, however you approach fandom, that's fine. I got no issue with that whatsoever. That's the beauty of the game. Because so many people, for so many different reasons, are attracted to it. But when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens, I think there's a conversation that that needs to be had. And uh, hopefully this will get the ball rolling. I don't claim to have any any deep uh, understanding the situation but just as a person who's lived in Montreal my whole life and who's lived from a different perspective um, I think I have a few things to uh, to contribute to the conversation so I hope you guys will, uh, will come along we'll have some fun I love music uh, so uh, I'll throw in a few uh, tracks along the way and um, I'm gonna try to open this conversation up to as many people as possible I'm going to try to use Discord, obviously Twitter, to share it. And um, uh, I look forward to uh, seeing where this goes. So I'll be back in a few minutes with the first episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? January 24th, 2020, the NHL All-Star Game is uh, two days away. Shea Weber is the only representative of the Montreal Canadiens participating this year in the All-Star Game. And with all honesty, he's the only guy that deserves to be there. If we take a look at the, the current NHL standings, You'll find the Montreal Canadiens in 12th place in the conference. Uh, just for to remind everybody, there's only 16 teams in the conference. So they're the fifth worst team in the Eastern Conference. With 32 games left, they're 10 points behind the last wildcard spot in their own division. They're close to 19 points from the lead 10 points from Florida Florida still has a game in hand it's kind of hard to fathom but 
here we are, January 24th. Actually, it's January 23rd. It's just about midnight now. About to turn 24. And the Canadians are pretty much eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Not a horrible thing. Many teams uh, have uh, seasons where things don't work out. Or their seasons are part of some sort of strategy that gets you to the point where they work out. But for nos glorieux, le bleu blanc rouge, this is uh, this will make the third year in a row that they miss the playoffs. Three years in a row—that's ridiculous. You say, how could that be? I don't know, but it's true. Three years in a row. The year before that, they made the playoffs. Remember that? That was the year that uh, Michelle Therrien was fired, with about a month and a half left. And Claude Julien took over, and the, the team kind of sleepwalked its way into the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they were, you know, quickly eliminated. The year before that, they missed the playoffs. Remember that? Yeah. That's uh, that's four out of five years without even a playoff game. And the year that they made the playoffs, they only played six games total because they only won two games, and they were sent packing. That's half a decade, half a decade of complete failure. And somehow you turn on the radio, you watch Montreal Canadiens game on RDS or TV Aspar. There's no real panic in anybody's voice. There's no real desperation for some sort of solution to the ongoing issue. It's just like ah ho hum. We're just part of the you know the NHL uh, you know group of teams, and uh, it's hard to uh, to compete in a professional sports uh, league with uh, with salary caps and uh, tax issues. We we hear every single excuse that is possible to come up with. Some of them apply. Some of them are just ridiculous. But here we are, January twenty fourth. There's still thirty two games left in the season, and the Montreal Canadiens are all but pretty much eliminated from Stanley Cup playoffs. I'll be back in a couple of minutes with uh, a few more things to say. It goes without saying that I am. We are all extremely disappointed with our season. When things go badly, we have a legitimate opportunity to reevaluate everything we do with the objective of starting next season better and building for a more promising future. The status quo is not acceptable. We are the NHL's most storied franchise, and we owe it to our fans to achieve the standards of excellence that they expect.
the most storied franchise in the history of hockey. That's how Jeff Molson puts it. But is it true? Is it still true? Does it still apply? Or are we kind of basking in the glow of a dying sun? What is the reality of the Montreal Canadiens? If you follow them game to game, week by week, you know, month to month, year to year, you'll realize that no matter where they go, wherever they're playing, especially in Canada, perhaps maybe only Toronto and Boston, where you're not going to find a really good, uh, you know, collection of Habs fans there cheering the team on. Western Canada, it's kind of ridiculous. Sometimes you go, okay, who, who's the home team? So there's still something there about about the franchise, about that logo, that, that crest on the jersey, what it represents, who it used to represent, you know? But how long is that going to last? How much longer before generations uh, come and go? And the only decent player they've seen is, you know, maybe Patrick Waugh. Maybe after Patrick Waugh, Carey Price. These are questions that, uh, as a franchise owner, you have to think about. Now, the Molsons, they've been associated with the Montreal Canadiens for a long, long time. The name, the family, and uh, the assorted companies that uh, they've had through the years. Molson predominantly now is uh, it's just a beer thing. It's not even the Molson's beer. He, he bought Coors in the States. and uh, So it's a pretty big brand that he has. I mean, I could, I could look it up to see exactly what uh, what that you know satellite companies belong to the Coors, Coors Molson brand. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of money there. So when you see the Montreal Canadiens and you see a franchise that the owner is making pretty good money, granted he had to borrow a lot of money to uh, to purchase the team, but I'm pretty sure. In the 10 years he's had the team, he's had a good chance to uh, pay back the people that he borrowed from. So uh, the team is pretty much his now. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm not privy to any uh, financial information from the Molson, so I'm not going to pretend that I know. But um, it stands to reason after a decade of owning a pretty profitable team, a pretty profitable brand, a pretty profitable product, that you, you could, you could, you know, you can borrow money on that uh, on that value and pay off whatever you have to pay off. So I'm pretty sure he's uh, paid off everybody. So when the Montreal Canadiens, the most storied franchise in hockey, play three years in a row under the cap, three years that kind of coalesce with the exact three years that they missed the playoffs, in a row, you have to ask. You have to start asking yourself certain questions. Who's running things here? 
and if the and if and if we we figure out who that person is that running things is what do they see what are they looking at i mean i don't know a lot of people that know Jeff Molson personally tell you he's a really nice guy he's uh he's kind of, he's humble you know his his kid plays hockey pretty good level of thinking the state somewhere in the United States I think and uh uh US college hockey I think I'm not I'm not positive on that so there's there's a hockey thing there there's some sort of understanding there and yet three years in a row team misses the playoffs three years in a row and for those three years the team is playing under the cap for those three years so it seems like there's something something wrong there you know maybe there's not enough people to show up to the games no that's not true with the exception of this year and maybe a few parts of the tailing in the last year But last year was a little bit of a turnaround. But this year there's a lot of games that are not sold out. And even if they're sold out ticket-wise, digitally-wise, they're sold out. There's nobody in the seats. And the worst thing that happens with teams that are on a kind of steady decline is a lot of the season ticket owners they they, they start to sell the, t- the tickets that they own. So they'll put them up for grabs and usually the people that pick up those tickets are fans of the teams that are visiting the Bell Center. So you go from a partisan crowd and let's be honest the Bell Center has never been known as the greatest crowd ever. But pretty good crowd to slowly becoming more of a balanced crowd where you go to a game to watch the Boston Bruins and There's more people rooting for Boston than there is for Montreal, it seems like. Especially in old, the current state of the team. Last time Boston was Montreal. Boston was visiting Montreal. They, they won 8-1. 8-1. The Boston Bruins came into Montreal and beat the team 8-1. Now, I'm not very good last year. I don't remember what happened last year. But I think the year before that, they lost every single game they played to the Bruins. In the regular season. I'm not going to talk about playoffs because we are... We haven't sniffed the playoffs in so long. I don't even remember when the last time was. I think Claude Julien still had hair back then. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was four years ago. He took over the team from Michel Therrien with about a month and a half left in the season. The team kind of, you know, looked kind of sleepy as they made it to the, to the playoffs. And they were promptly eliminated. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick, too. And uh, that's the last time the Montreal Canadiens have even played a remotely game of interest. You know, a game of some sort of import. Where you could say, yeah, it's, a, it's a important game. Everybody's tuning in to watch that one. Since then, it's just a bunch of... Let's rearrange what we say to people and the fans as the team changes or adapts or... It's 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 pretty much a, a PR nightmare for guys like Molson, and Molson his background is marketing. I think that's that's the job that he's had, you know. And uh, he's I'm pretty sure he applies whatever he's learned in marketing to the Montreal Canadiens. 
and uh, the first the first choice Jeff Molson made when he bought the Canadians uh, maybe wasn't the first choice, but it was early on when he first started to feel a little bit of pushback, and it wasn't even his decision. It was just Randy Latticer was the the assistant coach at the time, so when the head coach was fired, it was kind of made sense that he would take over interim base. But the team was horrible then, so it's not like he was going to turn anything around. So as the team continued to fade, you know, if there's an English target out there for people to uh, to point at, you know, and if it happens to be an obvious one, like the head coach, they're definitely going to point at it. Fans, media alike, media tend to uh, to start ball rolling, and uh, the moment that he felt any kind of pressure, he bowed down to it. He said, "This is, you know, I'm a, I'm an owner of a business. If, uh, if it makes more sense to me for me to, to listen to what the fans want in terms of language or uh, requirements for, uh, for a general manager and coach, then I, you know, I'm just going to do that, and uh, things should play out well. That's the mistake, folks. That's the mistake that Jeff Molson made." He boxed himself into a corner, and it's fine. It, it's we as Montrealers, we all kind of want uh, a Quebecois to, to kind of lead the way, you know. We still have visions of Serge Savard, we have, you know. But it seems like now we've kind of crossed the threshold there, where it's, where it's, no matter what happens with the hockey team, good or bad or horrible, we really can't say anything about the French management. That's kind of a taboo subject. We could talk about things around it, you know. We could talk about you know, uh, taking the decks of the, the, taking all the chairs in the Titanic and moving them around, you know. And Jeff Molson is the president of hockey operations. One day, then he hires somebody else the next day, and uh, we could play those games for years. And they, all those things do is they just extend that time period, you know. But extending the time period just means you're extending the failure. So, if we're to look to answer the question, what the fuck is wrong with the Montreal Canadiens? What the fuck is wrong with the Habs? The top of the podium, the head of the the class there. Did I say podium? That's how, that's pretty funny. You know, the head of the the totem pole is the owner. He's the guy who's in charge, because he's the guy who's in charge of. The most important part of decision making within a sports franchise: timing. When things get done and when things don't get done. Let me give you an example. My NFL team is the New York Giants. I've been a New York Giants fan since I can remember watching them on TV. When I first started watching them when I was a teenager, they were absolutely horrible. I think the first year I followed them, they were two and fourteen. Absolutely horrible. But things slowly changed when a guy named Bill Parcells took over, and you kind of saw that as Bill Parcells kind of worked his way into that leadership role, things kind of fit into. Pieces kind of fit into uh, into place. Here comes Lawrence Taylor. 
You know, here comes Phil Sims. Here comes Banks. Here comes Manningham. Boonga, boonga, boonga. You got yourselves a team, you know. The New York Giants in the 2000s, in the 2000s, they won two Super Bowls. They won one in 2007, and they won one in 2011. In a five-year period, they won two Super Bowls. Actually, a four-year period. Two Super Bowls. Things after that slowly started falling apart. To where the New York Giants right now, accumulation of the last three years of the worst team in football. But they don't stand pat. They don't just throw up their hands and say, well, you know, next year is this. And uh, this year we had a few injuries and uh, a couple of the young players looked good. So that looks good. There's not a whole bunch of this nonsense. They make changes, you know. They make head coaching changes. If that doesn't work out in a couple of years, they change that too. Because I hate to break it to people out there. Progress, it might not come overnight. But the upswing is obvious right away. There's no stagnation for four or five years and all of a sudden things improve. There's an automatic improvement. The automatic improvement happens on the sidelines, in the locker room, and that eventually goes to the field. Same thing as applies to hockey. When franchises make decisions that put themselves on the right path, it's quick. The losing to winning is not quick. But the progress is quick. The evolution is quick. You can see it right away. You can say, yeah, as a fan, you could see it. You can say, yeah, there's, there's, there's a progress that happened. The problem with the Montreal Canadiens is they thought last year was progress. And anybody watching the game could just tell you, dude, this team is overachieving. They have no injuries. A bunch of guys are having career years. We got a ragtag, uh, ragamuffin crew of defensemen there. Half the guys off waivers who are kind of playing for their lives and they're kind of keeping their own, which is keeping the team kind of. But push come to shove, they, they lost a lot of games that they had to win. Yeah. So when this season started, I was prepared for for a setback. I was I wasn't I wasn't expecting you know. 80 something point season. I was expecting high 80s, low 90s. That's what I was expecting. That kind of a year, you know, which is pretty much where they're heading this year. You know? But with a couple of injuries early on, it kind of it kind of sped up that, you know. So, and um, yeah, Jeff Molson, Mr. Potom, <laughs> Potom Totem. He's on top of there. He's uh, he's the top guy there, you know. And uh, he made the decision that's kind of altered his franchise. It's it's one thing to have a hidden or a secret kind of agenda, where 
you know, we're going to do our best to make sure we hire the fresh, the best French person available. And it's another thing to make it an open kind of policy, you know, now he's kind of stuck because he's kind of realized that this management crew is going absolutely nowhere. They're not getting anything accomplished. One step up, two steps back, one step up, two steps back. Their drafting is horrible. Their, their pro scouting is horrible. They haven't developed anybody. So it's, it's a whole bunch of bad with a few good things in between. And, and uh, I think he's kind of realized that, that, that changes changes have to be made. But he's kind of boxed himself in a corner where he has to find the people that apply within those requirements, you know. And that's not that easy to do. You know, Julian Brisebois is not available. Serge Savard is not interested. I don't think he is. I think he's interested to give his opinion once in a while, but I don't think he's interested in running things day to day. So he's got to come up with a different solution. And that's the problem with with Jeff Molson right now. He's kind of backed himself into a corner where it's kind of hard to find anybody. So I got to stay with the guy that I have. And the guy that you have, you know, he might have big arms and he might make the, the media laugh once in a while at the press conferences, but the team is horrible, you know. I mean, he took over the team was 28th. Eight years later, they're they're 24th. Two years ago, they were 28th. You know, th there's no real anything happening. People like to point to the future and say, yeah, but the future is bright. That's not true. I mean, there's a couple of bright spots there, and every organization has a couple of bright spots. So you can point to Suzuki. You can point to Romanov if he ever signs here. He's got to sign here. If he doesn't sign next year, if he goes back, he becomes a UFA. Maybe that's what he's, that's his long game, play two years in KHL, then become a UFA and sign a bigger contract with Montreal. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not a UFA, RFA uh, status expert. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of guys on Twitter that could fill those roles. I'm not going to pretend to be that kind of that person. So... You have uh, Suzuki, you have Romanov. Romanov, if he comes in two years, I'm not going to throw in Orlander and uh, the kid for that played for the, the U.S. Uh, junior team. I forgot his name on defense. He looked pretty good. Harris, I think. Jordan Harris. He looked pretty good too. Because when it comes to young players, let them come here. Let them come to the NHL. Let them make that step. You know, make it's, it's a physical step. It's a mental step. Let them make that step and let them produce within that environment. And then you could get excited about them. You know what I mean? Romanov is kind of a little bit of a... He's a he kind of sticks out. It's kind of obvious. Just his skating style. You, you can tell that he can skate in the NHL. No doubt about it. And he's got that passion in him. He's got that fire. And that tends to drive players a lot. Subban had the same kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I mean... Kokaniemi, I mean, things looked good last year. He was like an 18-year-old, you know, super fun. Remember the super fun? Yeah, not so much super fun this year. He's taking a serious step backwards this year. Two kids that were drafted after him, uh, Quentin Hughes in Vancouver and uh, Brady Kachuk in, Toronto, in Ottawa, excuse me. They're playing in the All-Star game tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. The two kids that were drafted after Kokaniemi are playing in the All-Star game. Quinn Hughes. I was yelling for the Habs to draft this kid. I mean yelling. 
he was exactly what the team needed. A defenseman who can skate and create offense. After Quentin Hughes, I was kind of, okay, Brady Kachuk is there. He's got the lineage. He's got pretty much everything you need. Size, finish, exactly what you want, a little grit. Nope. I don't know where here comes Cook and the Emmy. And I should have known it would have been a bad pick because uh, some certain guy on Twitter, I don't want to point people out. Let's say a certain scout on Twitter tends to be wrong about a lot of things and tends to be loud about being wrong about a lot of things, which is kind of weird. But whatever. When he started pushing this kid, I kind of, I should have had a gut feeling. But it was what it was, and uh, we can't reverse time. And uh, he's only 19 years old, you know. But his ceiling, when you're honest with yourself and you watch him play, his ceiling is a third-line center. A really good one, you know. A big boy, doesn't play really physical, but eventually he'll get there. Who could, who could create offense and finish some offense. But he's not a first-line center. He's never going to be that. He doesn't have the skating ability for that. So, the Habs are kind of stuck right now. Their drafting is not very good. If we're honest, it's kind of horrible. Their, the vision the GM has and how to construct a contending team, in my opinion, is, is so flawed, it's ridiculous. You have a you you go through like a three four year period where you have you know a top ten team in the NHL. You're always kind of there, so you're drafting late, and then you have this philosophical refusal to trade your late first round picks. And now, as time has passed, and we can look back a little bit, we see that there was like six seven years where every every single late first round with the Montreal Canadiens selected is not even playing in the NHL. I mean, we got lucky that we were able we were able to swap a few players before you know it became too obvious. So there's a few pieces there, but you know I'm not gonna add Joanne as a piece because you traded Sergeyev for him. You know, so it was like the, one of the draft the good draft years. Obviously, he was nine number nine overall, it makes it easier. But you know, you traded that guy. So drafting is a huge element of the Montreal Canadiens, but it's not, only, it's not only bad drafting, it's bad drafting in a connection with a general manager who doesn't trade those draft picks to pick up pieces. So you have a combination of where you're just wasting time by not doing anything. If teams call you for certain players or certain moves, you don't want to make them because you're not going to give up your, your late first rounders. So you're kind of stuck in that, you know, like a, like a hamster in a wheel, just going around and around and around and around. But you're not really getting anywhere. You know, that's the problem with Mark Bergman as general manager. It's his vision, you know. I mean, you could you could cherry-pick little moves here and there and say, oh, that was good, and that was good, and that was good. Yeah, but dude, when you put them all together, it means nothing. You know what I mean? I mean, trading for Dano is an awesome trade. You know, Fleischman and whoever else that was, Weiss, and you pick up Dano, local kid, you know. But if you look back at that team three years ago, you already had two third-line centers. Yeah, Lars Zeller who's a fantastic third-line center, by the way, helped lead his team to the Stanley Cup Finals and the Stanley Cup Championship. And he wasn't a passenger. He was uh, one of the captains, you know, in that, uh, in that hunt. And they're probably going to go there again this year. Anyways, I'm saying, the point I was trying to make was, you already had Lars Elder and you already had Thomas Placanic on your team. 
So when you picked up Dano, it was like, okay, you were, you were adding another third line center. You know? So a lot of things didn't make sense. He's got this weird kind of vision of doing things. And I think a big part of it is just his unwillingness to make, to give up draft picks. You know? So now they're at the point where they can't sign free agents for whatever many reasons. They're not very good at drafting. So uh, they're kind of at the position where let's play the year, see where we finish, draft what we draft. And that's that's a great formula to go absolutely nowhere. Uh, people that succeed in life, teams that succeed, are teams that are bold. They take initiative. They make changes. They don't sit around and wait. They see things are not working out and they make changes. Canadians are not there yet. Montreal Canadians are not there yet. The owner is not there yet. And until the owner gets there, the team is not going to get there. So, I'm looking at the clock now. It's a good 30 minutes. That seems to be a pretty good time for the first episode. So, I'm going to shut down for a while. I'm going to play you guys out with a little Stevie Wonder from Inner Visions, one of the greatest albums of all time. See you guys next week with episode two. Say that he's living wrong. They tell you 
Yeah. 